This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business. And it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at AtlantaRamjack.com. Six. Welcome to another episode of the 643 Podcast with yours truly, Dylan Short, brought to you by 680 The Fan and the Dickey Broadcasting Corporation. You can find this show as well as any of the other podcasts from all of your other favorite 680 hosts, whether it be Chris Domino, Kevin McAlpin, Matt Chernoff, Hoyton Lose, whoever, Bucks Beat. You can find them at the Podcast Park or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. You can find us pretty much every day of the week here bringing you everything you need to know from news, notes, and sports in the great city of Atlanta, in the great state of Georgia. So go to the Podcast Park, subscribe to your favorite shows today. All right, so it's been a little bit since I've been able to do an episode. Last week was a little crazy. Uh, I had a, a weddings that I was in, so um, and I stress weddings. Uh, I did get to go on Buck's show on Thursday and Friday, but we're back at it again today, and I'm very excited to be back at it. Very excited because the Braves just continue to win as they won again last night. That pushes the streak to an even dozen. I could not tell you the last time the Braves had a 12-game win streak. I think it was back in something like 2005 or something like that. It's been a long, long time, and the Braves are doing it in all manner of different ways. Doesn't seem to matter. The offense has been outstanding over this stretch. The starting pitching has been really good with the exception of uh, a couple starts by Charlie Morton. And uh, I mean, I guess last night's start by Ian Anderson wasn't wasn't great, uh, particularly by the standards we know from Ian. But we'll talk about Ian a little bit uh, later. But the offense as a whole has been phenomenal. The power has come back in droves and pretty much everyone in the lineup has been hitting at some point or another during this hot stretch. The lineup has been hitting all up and down which makes it really, really difficult to play the Atlanta Braves. And as a, as a 
because of it. And yes, I know it's bad teams, but you're supposed to beat bad teams. And when the Braves were struggling early, they weren't beating bad teams. So yeah, 12 games in a row against anyone is a stretch. I mean, the Pirates just swept the Dodgers. So don't tell me that 12 games against those teams is, is not a good, is, is not impressive. It's impressive no matter what age group you are, no matter who you're playing in Major League Baseball, winning 12 in a row is a big deal. And for the Braves, they've done it in a number of different ways. Last night, yeah, you're playing the, you're playing the Nationals. They're not a great team. They, they didn't really have much in the way of pitching. You beat up on a, uh, on a rookie, Erasmo Ramirez, beat him up pretty good. But you know what? I don't really care. You won again. You set up for tonight with uh, with Max Freed towing the rubber against a rookie in uh, Tetralt, I think is his name. Uh, and instead, you get a chance to go for a baker's dozen, 13 in a row. You've picked up five and a half games on the New York Mets. In the meantime, as the Braves enter today, five games back of first place. This is about as good as you could have hoped for. I said before they started this, this stretch against sub-500 teams that you needed to significantly win it, not just win or split. You needed, you needed a, a substantial win record, and they have absolutely done that. And it's been everybody. Uh, unfortunately, now I should, I should mention before we go too deep into all the good stuff, last night was not all joy as Ozzy Albies fractured his foot. He's going to be out until about August. Um, and it happened... In, it was very weird how it happened. He took kind of an awkward swing, which Ozzy kind of does at times. He can he can let loose some really awkward looking swings. Last night he did, and his back foot kind of collapsed on him and fractured his foot. I wonder if that if there was something there previously uh, from fouling a ball off the top of his foot. He tends to do that a fair bit, and I wonder if just the the weird pressure he put on it with that awkward swing just kind of caused a stress fracture in there. I don't really know. I'm sure that'll come out a little bit later. Uh, but for now, Ozzy is on the 60-day IL now. But I don't think. How can I say this? I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna tank the Braves at all. Uh, I love having Ozzy. I love Ozzy. I think he's a very important member of this team. But he hasn't been having a great season, offensively at least. Uh, Orlando Arcia steps in, and defensively at least, you're not really gonna see any drop off from Ozzy to Arcia. Ozzy's quicker. He probably has a little bit more range at second base. Arcia's got one of the strongest arms from shortstop, much less from second base. You saw that last night on displays. He made a couple really good defensive plays, including one that didn't get a lot of discussion on the broadcast outside of Brian Jordan kind of mentioning it where uh, there was a ground ball and he had, he went to go turn it. Dansby was a little bit farther away. Didn't really have a shot turn at a second. So off of his, off of the wrong foot, he hummed it over to first to get the out. Didn't look like much. He made it look very easy, but it was a very, very tough play. And if you look at RC's numbers this season, he's actually been, he's actually been better offensively than Ozzy. So I don't really think, that the Braves are going to miss Ozzy's on-field contributions quite as much. Uh, I, I think defensively, Orlando Arcia has always been a really good defender, so I'm not super worried there. And if you dig a little deeper into Arcia's numbers, if you go to a StatCast page, now, just on the surface, he's done really well anyway, but dig a little bit deeper into your numbers, and you start to see why he's done so well this year. And for those of you that remember last year, when Arcia came over and was in Gwinnett, he was launching baseballs left and right, enough to the point where people like me were saying, hey, call him up and give him a shot at short when Dansby was struggling so mightily. Well, what you're seeing from him so far this year is he's raised his launch angle uh, by a lot. Typically, coming into the season, his launch angle would be the highest. Uh, we're all single digits. 9.6 was his highest in 2020. This year so far, he's at 10.9. He was at 11.1 going into last night. 
The big difference is his exit velocity. He is hitting the ball so much harder than he has at any other portion of his career. This year, he's hitting the ball on an average of 94 miles an hour. If he qualified for the lead, that would be up near... If he had enough plate appearances to qualify, that would be up near the very, very top. His barrel percentage is far and away the best of his career. Uh, and that is barrels per plate appearance. Again, far and away the best of his career. That's kind of one of the things that you're looking for. His sweet spot, nearly 10 points higher than it was last year. Uh, if you go into all of his expected stats, you see that he's just absolutely crushing baseballs. Uh, and actually, with as good as he's performed, if you dig a little bit deeper, you find he's actually been unlucky this year. Uh, when you look at his Waba and his ex-Waba, Waba is weighted on base average, ex-Waba expected weighted on base average. Essentially, that just takes how you're hitting, how many times you're getting on base, plus with hits and things like that, versus expected, versus how you're hitting the ball. And for him, he's just been crushing baseballs. His hard hit percentage, that's baseball's hit, over 95 miles an hour, over 54%. It has been outstanding for him. He's walking at a 12.5% clip right now. Strikeouts are at 25. Strikeouts are elevated a little bit more, but it does look like he's really bought in to raising his launch angle a little bit, making sure he stops hitting the ball on the ground so often. And I don't think it's a bad move to just see what Arcia can give you with a lot of plate appearances. Now, maybe it kind of... Maybe it kind of comes back down to earth form. Maybe this has just been a hot stretch. You really haven't seen him get any consistent work at all for, for probably the last couple of months. He played a lot earlier in the season. He was hitting baseballs really well. And then he, as the rest of the team started kind of stepping up a little bit and Michael Harris got called up, Arcia kind of got left in the dust a little bit as far as getting used. Uh, but so far, you can't fault anything against him. It's almost like Adam Duvall when Duvall came here in 2019, had to get sent down uh, to AAA because he wasn't performing very well or in 2018, I think maybe it was, and then came up in 2019, had that big year. has uh, kind of followed that same suit. He came over, he got a little bit of run last year and could not replicate his, his minor league success at the big leagues. This year, though, he seems to be a different type of hitter. And I, I'm going to be very honest. I love watching Orlando Arcia. I love watching him play baseball. I love his motions. I love his swing. It's violent and fluid at the same time, which is one of my favorites to watch. Uh, I, I'd, I'd love to see what he can do. Now, again, this is just going to be until Ozzy gets back. It's not like Orlando RC is going to come in and replace Ozzy Albies. But Ozzy has been in the midst of one of his worst seasons, at least consistency speaking. Uh, he's been swinging at a lot of bad pitches. He hasn't really been taking his walks. It's been kind of a rough go of it lately for Ozzy. So I'm not too worried about, about the on-the-field stuff, so to speak. Now, Ozzy is a, a very important part of the clubhouse and a very important part of the bench for this team. He's, he's one of those guys that... Gets along with everybody. He's very feisty, very fiery. Uh, now, I actually think, as much as I was not wanting to say this earlier this year, I actually think Dansby Swanson has done a phenomenal job stepping up. We'll talk about him here in a second. Um, but I don't really think Alex is going to look for a big deal to, to replace Ozzy. Like, you see some people talking about Jazz Chisholm. First of all, the Marlins aren't going to trade Jazz Chisholm. Second of all, they're definitely not going to trade Jazz Chisholm to the Braves. Third of all, the Braves aren't going to be giving up what it would take to get Jazz Chisholm for a few months and then platoon him with Ozzy for some reason. That's not going to happen. If you got Jazz, it would be because you planned on him going to shortstop and you not paying Dansby Swanson, and that's not going to happen. There are a couple there are a couple players I think the Braves could target if they don't believe in Arcia or if Arcia starts to struggle a little bit. Uh, you could look at him. I have... I've kind of thought that they would be targeting at least one other starting pitcher anyway. And Cincinnati Reds are a team that have two starting pitchers that you could target, whether it's Luis Castillo or Tyler Malley. 
Uh, and I think you could just go ahead and add, they actually have two position players that could play second base and play it well in Kyle Farmer or Brandon Drury. Brandon Drury is a guy that this year he's doing really well. I don't really buy into Brandon Drury. He's been around long enough to where we kind of know exactly what he is. Uh, but he's a guy that can play multiple spots for you, second base, third base. He's played some outfield before, uh, former Brave way back in the day. Uh, and he's a guy that's been swinging the bat really, really well this year. Uh, 12 homers for him on the year already. He's, he's a guy that his numbers look pretty good. Defensively, he's nothing to write home about. But with the bat this year, he's done really, really well. Uh, another guy who seems to have found the key to uh, to unlocking a little bit of, uh, of offensive prowess. Uh, I like Kyle Farmer a lot because Kyle Farmer is one of these guys that I don't mind having him be in a utility role when he comes back anyway. Kyle Farmer is an excellent defensive uh, shortstop. He's also a, he's also been a catcher before at the big league level. Uh, he's played second base. He could probably play outfield as well. And he's a guy that's done very well offensively. He's not going to do anything crazy. He doesn't have a ton of power. Doesn't doesn't do a whole lot as far as you know home runs or anything like that. But he's a guy that I don't think would be terribly expensive. He's a guy that you could keep around for a while. And he can do a lot of different things for you. Doesn't strike out a lot. Uh, does a good job getting the bat on the ball. Uh, hasn't been good defensively this year. But in the past, he's been pretty good defensively. Uh, as actually, as early as last year, he was 90th percentile and outs above average. Uh, he, he's a guy that fits what they want, and it's not a guy that's going to cost anything. That's where I think you're looking at. If you're talking about replacing Ozzy for a little bit, I think you're just looking at somebody that that can hold down the fort until Ozzy gets back and who can go to the bench. As, as it stands right now, Phil Gosselin got called up. I thought it might have been Kramer Robinson, but they decided to go with, uh, with Phil Gosselin. He's been around the big leagues for a while. He's going to be the backup as Orlando Garcia gets every opportunity to take this over. Uh, which it should be. That's that's how you should be doing it. Arcia has performed really, really well when he's gotten a chance this year, and he's he's earned the right to kind of get a little bit of run and see how it can go. Uh, I I th- I like Orlando Arcia. Like I said, I love watching him play. So I I need to see him fail before I say they need to definitively step out and go get somebody else. Uh, but I think if you're doing it, you're just going with a team that you've already targeted a starting pitcher, and you're trying to get somebody you you could put at the keystone if you had to. If you absolutely had to. Uh, so I, I don't think that it's a I don't think that it's something that Alex is going to go crazy over. I certainly don't think it's somebody or it's a position that they're going to spend a lot prospect wise. As you know, Ozzy Albie's a second baseman long term, so there's no point going out and getting one of these guys that's going to be around for a while uh, to to fill in for a month or two or for a couple months rather until Ozzy gets back. So you'll see that go tonight. Max Fried on the hill looking for win number thirteen in a row, and for Max. It's just more of the same. Max Fried has been outstanding all season long. He's been one of the better pitchers in baseball, along with Kyle Wright, as it's always nice to see the Braves have two on that list. Um, but for Max, I don't know if it's just me. Maybe it's just what I watch, but it does seem like he struggles against Washington and Philadelphia. Now, when you look at his numbers, he hasn't struggled against Philadelphia at all. But I kind of feel like he struggled against the Nationals at times. This year's a little bit different from previous years for him. He's been more consistently on point all season long is he's probably going to get to himself to two F war after his start today. The nationals aren't a good lineup. You saw Juan Soto come up a little bit lame yesterday. I would imagine he'll probably get the day off today. Um, now they are facing a rookie pitcher, which generally means that, that there's a fair chance that the Braves don't do well at all offensively and get beat up a little bit. Uh, but the way they've been running around this, this stretch run right now, I'm not overly worried at all. Uh, like I said, everybody's been doing well. And last night, we actually got to see the first home run from Michael Harris. And that is just awesome. Uh, I, I figured it wouldn't be too, too long before we saw it. Seeing him against Washington, that makes sense. Washington's not a great team. 
Uh, so I thought that that would be a good opportunity to see it. Uh, but you did get one last time. You took it opposite field, which I think is something that might be a feature for Michael early on. He does a really good job of getting extension. Uh, and, and a lot of times when he's pulling the ball and hitting excessively hard, a lot of that's been on the ground so far. But there's no doubting Michael Harris has just been absolutely phenomenal all season long. Uh, well, I don't want to say all season long, but ever since he got called up, you've just seen that spark that he has, that that it factor. I am comfortable already saying Michael Harris is a superstar, and we're just waiting for the rest of baseball to catch on. He has already been worth .7 F4, a lot of that based on his defense. He's been a supreme defender, but he's got a 115 WRC+. plus. His line is 293 with a 317 OBP and a 466 slugging. He's been phenomenal. He's been as good as you could have possibly hoped for, especially for a player that completely skipped AAA and doesn't even have a full season of AA ball under his belt. It's just been an incredible showing. I've said this on the Saturday show, and when I was filling in for Buck, he really looks exactly like Jason Hayward before he caught a pitch from John Neese in the face. It is uncanny, the resemblance. He's got an absolute hose in the outfield. He covers a ton of ground. He's, he's made some plays right now that have made me stand up and say, wow, and I'm a guy that's watched Christian Pache for quite a while. And Michael Harris has done exactly what you would have expected Pache to do in the outfield while also being able to hit the ball. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm no longer a Pache fan. I still believe in Christian Pache, but I've been... I've been trying to be kind of, I've been trying to not go overboard with Michael Harris until I could see it. I didn't want to go too crazy on the hype and train until I've seen it. But go ahead and throw me all in now. At this point, I won't be surprised if Michael Harris is the second best player on this team as soon as next year. And I might not even be that surprised if he's the second best player on this team before this season is out. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know where this came from, to be quite frank, for a guy that was under the radar a little bit coming into the draft. Now, third round, you say, hey, that's not really under the radar. Uh, if people thought that he was going to be this level of player, he would have been in the top, he would have been in the top 10 picks. Uh, every other team had him as a pitcher, which lets you know that he was a pretty highly touted pitcher. It's just the Braves let him get in the outfield and run around for him in the outfield, and they, they saw something where they just realized, holy crap, this is this guy is something else. And you're going to see all of his stats start to rise a little bit on fan graphs. Right now, he's the 36th ranked overall prospect, according to them. You will see a lot of those numbers rise. Uh, now, I don't know what his, over, what, his, what his eventual totals are as far as home runs. I don't think, right now anyway, I don't think he's a 30 home run guy. I think he's more of a 20s type of guy. I think he's got good speed. I think he's kind of similar to a young Nick Markakis, albeit with, a, with much more range in the outfield. He's kind of a hard one for me to comp, quite frankly. You could say Kevin Kiermeyer, but that's my that's my comp for Pache at the very worst. Uh, and he's got a, he's got a way better bat than Kiermeyer ever did. Uh, I wouldn't say I don't know that I would say Buxton because you know he's 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 not quite that fast, although he's pretty dang fast. Um, but that's that's fairly close the way that I've seen so far. Really. Uh, I don't want to go too too deep on comps because Michael Harris is Michael Harris. And I think in future in future generations, I truly think he's somebody that we're going to start using as a comp for other people. I think he's about to be one of those guys that you use as a comp for others. He's just been that spectacular so far. I haven't seen anything right now that makes me think that he's not here to stay for the long run. And he's doing this as the youngest player in baseball, which is just even more incredible. And as he gets more and more comfortable, as he sees big league pitching more and more often, then you'll start to see him elevating the ball a little bit more. You'll start to see him take advantage of, of pitches he can hit a little bit more. He's already got such a supreme ability 
to adjust mid at bat at times, you're going to see Michael Harris really make a mark. And I think for the Atlanta Braves, having Harris come up and play center field has been that key catalyst. It's let Adam Duvall move into left field where it's all of a sudden jump started his game as a lot of people thought it would. Playing center field wears out your wears you out, wears out your legs and needs your legs to, to be able to hit, especially when so much of your offense is geared towards power and hitting the ball over the fence. And Adam Duvall, another case study is that. So he went one for three last night, scored three runs, had two walks, and hit himself another home run. That puts him at seven homers on the year, and his line is still nothing to write home about. But if you've been watching all season, you know how bad it's been for Adam Duvall. Over the stretch run since he's been in left field, totally different hitter. And it's totally changed the outlook of the Braves. You don't you aren't looking at this team anymore going, okay, there's three outs that are that are essentially give me outs right now. Marcelo Zuna hit himself a home run yesterday. He had a multi-hit game as he's trying to turn it around a little bit. Travis Darno hit a home run yesterday saying, not quite yet. William Contreras, who's been phenomenal in his own right. Overall, the Braves didn't get a great start from Ian Anderson. And it didn't matter, as the offense had another double-digit hit game as they just continued to do great things. But speaking of Ian Anderson, it really is kind of a tale of two, or really it's a tale of two types of Ian Anderson that you get in every start. Ian started out really, really well last night. Again, no surprise, the Nationals aren't a good offense. They're not a good anything. They're just a bad team that luckily has Juan Soto. Um, but Ian, it's been, it's been a bit of a tough season for it. Uh, his ERA is 481, his FIP is 453. So while he's been a touch unlucky, it's not like he's been good outside of that. He and Charlie have had massive struggles this season, and it's not hard to see why. When you see Ian Anderson, it is important to carry uh, these numbers in your head. The first time through the order, he's got a 239 ERA. Second time through, 320. Third time through, his ERA jumps to 13 and a half. That lets you know what you need to know. He has allowed 18 runs the third time through the order. It has not been good. He's only faced 62 batters the third time through the order, and yet he's allowed 18 earned runs. That is more. That is double what he allows the second time through, more than double what he allows the first time through. The stat line against him, first time, 235, 296, 398 with a 305 Waba. Second time, 187, 302, 264 with a 265 Waba. Third time through, 411, 468, 732 with a 510 Waba. Those are not good numbers. You go into his, you go into his advanced numbers. Is anything different? Strikeout rate just under nine first time through. Three walks per nine. Second time through, strikeouts drop to about seven per nine. Walks jump all the way to 5.3 per nine. Third time through, strikeouts drop again to about five and a quarter per nine. Walks at four and a half. Home runs. 1.37 per nine first time through, none the second time through, three the third time through. It is just a massive, massive difference. His whip the third time through is 2.42. The bat up against him is 4.22. His FIP is 7.81. It is, you have enough on this to know what Ian Anderson is. And Ian Anderson is a guy right now who you only let go through the order twice. We talk about Spencer Strider or Waskar and Noah or some of these other young guys and saying, well, you got to have somebody to piggyback because they don't need to see the order a third time through. Ian Anderson is worse than both of those guys in that particular area. And it's not, we've seen him do great things before, but it doesn't really surprise me. And not that I'm saying Ian is bad at all. I'm, it, it just doesn't shock me when you look at Ian versus, say, a Spencer Strider or even a Waskar and Noah. Uh, or even a Kyle Muller, who just can't throw strikes consistently. 
The difference is between all of the young arms, Ian is the most polished of these guys. He was coming up. That's why he got up faster. That's why he seems to do so well in the postseason. That's why everybody's always been convinced that he has a floor of a major league starter. He's just more poised and he knows what he's doing on the mound. The problem is he doesn't have the same arm talent as a lot of these other young guys. He's got, I don't want to say the worst arm talent, but it probably is. Now, saying the worst makes it sound like it's bad. I think I think Ian is has some outstanding pitches of his own, and when he's on, he's lights out. Uh, I think that he can rack up the strikeouts when he's on. But the way that he approaches the game, what makes him so good is that he tunnels every pitch out of the same slot. The release points are all the same. But that's also part of the problem when you talk about him going through the order a third time. Once you get a handle on his release point, you already know that all of Ian's pitches move in the same manner. The fastball stays straight. Every once in a while, it'll get a little bit of run on it and run inside towards the righty. But for the most part, it stays straight. His curveball's a dropper with just a slight hint of fade, but mostly it's a vertical. Uh, and then he's got a 12-6 curveball, which is a vertical drop. He doesn't have anything that has any real horizontal break. So as a hitter, once you get a handle on his release point and you know that it's one of three options, you're really just, you know that it's if it's going to break at all, it's going to break down makes it easier to predict a little bit. And that's being predictable is a death sentence in major league baseball. So I, I'm a little bit surprised they haven't worked on like a cutter or something for Ian. I don't know if maybe his straight over the top motion just kind of means there's not really much that they can do as far as getting anything that's going to have any horizontal. But if the Braves are wanting to get Ian to consistently be a guy that can go six or seven innings, like we've seen him do at times in the past, I think you're going to have to get a pitch that's a horizontal movement somehow, whether it's more of a two seam, kind of the same way Jesse Chavez throws him with a lot of, a lot of writing life, something that, that gets hitters and gets in on their hands. I mean, that's perfectly fine. Ian doesn't have to be a big K pitcher. I think he can be when his, when his changeup is working well, but he doesn't have to be. If he can get a, a good cutter or a good two seamer, I think that changes the calculus a little bit for Ian. But if he doesn't, and he, he sticks with the pitches that he's got and the velocity differentials that he has, I think you are kind of looking at a guy that, you know, he, he's a, a, a four, maybe a five if everybody works out for the Braves. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that I, I don't think that I would consider him one of the premium arms for the Braves. Obviously, Max Fried, I think, is the best arm. I think what Kyle Wright has done this year has shown that he's a top of the rotation arm. Mike Soroka is getting set to face live hitters for the first time. We'll see where he's at when he comes back. But I wouldn't count him much this year. But we know what Soroka's been when he's healthy. I think he's close to a top. I think Soroka's best is a three. But we've seen him able to be a one or a two as well. Uh, Spencer Strider, if that changeup continues to develop for him. I mean, he's shown that he's got top of the rotation ability. Waskar Anoa, uh, basically before the broken hand, looked like he was a top of the rotation arm. You've seen Kyle You've seen Kyle Muller do good things in the minors, just not translate it, but he's pretty highly touted. You look at Tucker Davidson, the same thing, if he can ever get a handle on strikes. Now, Tucker's is a little bit different. His fastball is a little too flat, doesn't have the same type of spin rate to explode on hitters, so I'm not certain what I think about Tucker as far as top of the rotation. But the Braves have a lot of starters that have shown good flashes of upside. The difference is Ian has done it in the playoffs. He's, he's, he's done it for a few more years now than some of the others, but... You can't be beholden to, to a guy's track record all the time. It is ultimately a competition. For Ian Anderson, at this point right now, I don't know if I'd rather have Ian or Charlie on the hill. Now, Charlie, his last time out against the Pirates, he did give up four runs, but he had 12 strikeouts. And for me, that's what I was looking for for Charlie. Get the swing and miss back. If he can get the swing and miss back, I think Charlie will end up being fine. Uh, and, and for the Braves, it's a lot of the same as last year, where as long as you just get to the postseason, then you're not too worried because you'll condense in the postseason. 
As it is, I think you'll have Strider go back into the bullpen once you get to postseason play, as he'll be way up over his his maximum innings that he's thrown to this point in his career. And you really only need three, maybe four starters in the postseason to begin with. The question comes in is what do you do with Ian, uh, Ian and Charlie? Because right now, if you were to make a if you're going to make a rotation today for the postseason, you're talking Max Fried and you're talking Kyle Wright one two. Then you're deciding if you're going to go with Charlie Morton or Ian Anderson. Both of them have great numbers in the postseason. Charlie's done it a little bit more. Uh, but Charlie has been a little bit worse in the regular season. I don't really know the correct answer here. We've got plenty of time to figure it out, and I don't want to spend all that time on that. But it is it is a luxury going forward. Now that we've seen the Braves doing great things, we can start looking at the postseason a little bit. It's going to start keep it going as you're you're facing off against Washington again. Then you get to play the the really bad Cubs. You 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 still have plenty of time playing bad teams here, where the Braves have an opportunity to pick up even more games on the Mets who. Now that they are finished with the, uh, with the Angels, they are now playing the Brewers, who are a really, really good team. You're going to see Chris Bassett and Adrian Hauser today for them. And the, if the, the Mets have to be in one of the, the most unenviable positions in, in baseball right now. They see the Braves coming up behind them, winning 12 straight games, reducing the lead by more than half in the division. You know they're playing the Cubs. And then they go through, and after the Cubs, it's not like their their schedule's really getting that much more. Well, they do play the Giants right after the Cubs, so you get you get three with the Cubs to continue trying to stack this lead. The Giants have been good, not great, kind of what I expected them to be last year. So they do have to go four with the Giants and, and three with the Dodgers, but then they immediately end the season the in the the month with three against the Phillies. So there's still a lot of ground here that the Braves can make up because. Frankly, the Mets haven't been playing the same level of baseball that they've been playing. Now, they weren't going to. A lot of a lot of what they were doing, oh, I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but it wasn't really backed up by the underlying stats for them either. They weren't particularly hitting the ball very hard. They weren't really, you know, their, their pitching has been okay, but not great. They do get a stretch against the Marlins, then they get two against the Astros. And, so they basically just play the Marlins and the Astros after the Brewers. You go four with the Marlins, two with the Astros, three with the Marlins, two with the, uh, two with the Astros to end June for them. So they don't have a difficult slate, but they don't have the easiest slate either. So there's still more room for the Braves to pick games up here. We could be talking about a Braves team that by the time we're even two weeks into July, they may have taken first place back. And if that happens, if the Braves get up and take first place from the Mets, even if it's just for like half a game, I think that makes this Mets team crumble. They built themselves out to a gigantic lead and no one's even talking about them anymore. The Mets are a 40-win team right now, and nobody's really talking about them because the Braves are just running up behind them on heels. It's what great teams do. It's what dynasties start to do, and I've said it before. I think we're in the midst of a Braves dynasty, and I think you're going to see that. I think the Braves take first place before you even get to the middle of July. I think that this team is is going to take first place and not look back, just like once they got up over 500. I didn't think they'd look back. I don't think you're going to see them look back once they get in first place. Once they take first, that's it. It's over for the division. I'm not worried about the Phillies. They've lost one game in this stretch, and they've actually lost ground on the Braves. That's how it's gone. I'm not worried about the Phillies. I'm not worried about the Marlins. not worried about the Nationals. I'm not really worried about the Mets. And you can tell me, sure, but they've, they've got Scherzer and DeGrom hurt. First of all, as much as I love Jacob DeGrom, we really haven't heard any news on him, which is not a good sign. Scherzer does not worry me. The Braves have seen Scherzer a million times. There's nothing Scherzer throws right now that worries me as a Braves fan. The Braves saw Scherzer at his absolute best. 
what they're seeing him at now is not his absolute best. So I actually don't think, I actually think being the NL East is a bad thing for Max Scherzer. I know he's done great things. I know he's a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm not down, I'm not saying that he's not a great pitcher. I'm not saying he's still not a great pitcher, but he doesn't match up well with the Braves. Most of the players in the Braves have seen him a million times already. They know his stuff. So that doesn't worry me. I think if you're a Mets fan right now, you can be, you can, you can pretend that you're not worried about what's going on in Atlanta, but you're lying to yourself. And we know it. The Braves are on the rise. The Braves are about to take first place. They got five games back to do it. And if they can go again tonight and win 13 in a row, you get into another uh, Kyle. It was another, I think it'll be another Charlie Morton start after, after, uh, after Max, it might be Kyle Wright again. So you got Max going tonight. Then Wednesday, I think the Braves have an off day. They do. And then Thursday, when we're back for our next episode here, they will be off again. Oh, oh, never mind. I'm sorry. Tomorrow, Wednesday, it'll be Strider. Strider versus Eric Fetty, which you feel great about because Eric Fetty's not a great pitcher. The Braves have blasted him before. And Spencer Strider's been outstanding all year long. And then you'll have an off day, which is nice because they could really kind of need one. They've, they've played a lot of games in a row here. You go into you go into Chicago, uh, which by the way, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I will be doing pregame six eight of the fans. So you'll be able to tune in there. So Saturday there'll be a lot of Dylan all day long. But you'll start off with the Cubs, and it'll be Charlie Morton versus Keegan Thompson, who's put up some decent numbers. But the Cubs are a bad baseball team. Lead you into Saturday, in which you'll get Kyle Wright versus Justin Steele, uh, not a great pitcher either. And then Sunday matchup, it's not much better for them. You get Ian Anderson. You do get Kyle Hendricks, who's the best that they have. But Hendricks has been even worse than Ian Anderson this year. Uh, so overall, the Braves have a good a good opportunity to get this to. I don't I don't want to put any jinxes on it or anything, but you could be looking at the Braves getting a 15, 16 game win streak here before they face the Giants and see what can happen there. All the momentum is with the Braves right now. The offense is absolutely crushing. I'm so excited to watch it. I know you guys are too. We're going to go ahead and end today's episode. It is a little bit longer today, but I've missed talking to you guys. Uh, again, I'll be back again on Thursday. I promise. I won't have another week where we don't have an episode at all. Uh, at least nothing planned up for a while. I'm good. No more weddings for a little bit. Thank the Lord. Um, by the way, congratulations to my brother and my new sister-in-law. Very excited for them. I love both of them very much. Uh, and my sister-in-law is a perfect match for my brother. So very, very happy. Very excited to have been in that wedding. It was a beautiful wedding. Uh, but I'm excited to be back to being able to fully cover Braves baseball and watch this stretch run going forward as the Braves, I think, are, are I think the Braves are on, on target now to show everybody that they are not just the best team in the East, not just one of the best teams in the National League, but one of the best teams in all of baseball, period. And I think the Braves are about to show that. We're about to see a lot of different guys start to break out now. And now we're seeing the the lineup and the positions that we were hoping to see. Now that you've got Duval in left field, your outfield defense is exceptional. Your infield defense is playing exceptional baseball right now. Your lineup is so tough to navigate because they just punish mistakes. And I'll focus a little bit more on that on Thursday. Like I said, it's a little bit over our normal times here. So I'll go ahead and cut it short. But we will be back again on Thursday here for the 643 podcast. I'm Dylan Short. You guys have a great day. Go Braves! That's all, folks. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. 
like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart. There needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 